softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico Yes, joining at home, uh, Long, <laughs> Long John Baldry and uh, Mexico, uh, which is, uh, has now become our uh, theme tune for our good friend uh, out in Mexico, and that's John Bonfilio. Uh, John, a very good evening to you. Good evening, how are you? I'm fine, all the better for hearing uh, Long John. Um, we always <laughs> <laughs> enjoy that bit of cheese. For, uh, I find myself humming it in the middle of the night now. Yeah, well, all of us, it's very catchy. Mexico. I hold you personally responsible for that. Well, you're absolutely right to and entitled to. Now, a couple of sports stories to start with, uh, John. Uh, The Copa Libertadores, uh, it was uh, an all-Brazil final, wasn't it? Uh, And won by Palmeiras. Was that uh, not a classic, I don't think, was it? It wasn't. I mean, it was actually a lot better than than the the full-time 0-0, nil-nil. Scoreline made it made it out to be there were click up chance on both sides. Finally, um, the Santos uh, head coach was sent off early in extra time, and then uh, Palmeiras scored halfway through halfway through the extra time, which was fundamentally a fair result, really, in terms of the way that um, that, uh, that the game was going. Of course, in the current context, the thing which you know you can't unsee, especially in a in a in a stadium as big as the Maracana, is the the empty seats, although particularly strange there, because although there was no audience allowed, you know, no crowd allowed, essentially there were 5,000 people more or less who were invited anyway. So you had this kind of really weird sense of sort of a pockmarked yeah. crowd in there without it being full to, to brimming as it would ordinarily be, especially for an all Brazil final. Yeah, I went to the American Hour, uh, where there was also, when I went, there was only about 500 people there anyway. It was... Uh, um, the sort of uh, pan South American cup, basically. So it was a cup with it was um, Venice Sarsfeld of Argentina against uh, a Rio team. But uh, I was told afterwards there's very little interest in it. It was where and they they think of these matches as friendlies. But I just happened to be in Rio and wanted to go to the Maracanã, and there was also probably about five or six hundred people in there. So. I know how ghostly that stadium is with uh, yeah, with no totally. crowd. Yeah. yeah. Now um, at uh, at Brighton, they've got a new Ecuadorian signing, uh, Moises Casido. Almost right, that very well it? pronounced. Yeah, oh, pretty good. You. Pretty good. Good. Yep. I'm getting Ecuadorian. there. <laughs> yeah, tell me all, tell me all about him. Uh, bright young thing played uh, for Independiente del Valle. I was actually only there for a year, but certainly uh, regarded as one of the, the rising stars in Ecuador and the youngest Ecuadorian to score in an international at the age of uh, at the age of 18. Um, won the under-20 Copa Libertadores last year and reached the quarterfinals with with the team as well. Um, and th- this year, and yeah, regarded as re- really being one of the one of the bright young talents to, um, to to come out of the country. Not really too much in his in his ledger and his CV. At the moment, but really, essentially, it seems as though it's a it's a gamble for the future for um, yeah. for Brighton. Quite what Moises Caicedo uh, is thinking of the bright lights of the south coast of England at this point is anybody's guess. 
not all that bright at the moment nobody's going out or anything so uh, okay. i think it'll be a while before you can enjoy the delights of brighton well you know it's full of delights lots of fine uh, bars there etc etc if, if he's interested in antiques there are quite a few antique shops in the brighton as well so um so yeah uh, but at the moment of course not in the team but brighton pulling away from the relegation zone so it's a good time to be joining them uh, now, tell me about this um, disaster in Brazil a couple of years ago, uh, which didn't make it big in the papers over here, but um, 270, pe- 270 people died in this. Yeah, it was, Brazi- it was essentially Brazil's worst industrial accident of all time. And the, f- and the footage of it is just absolutely amazing and, and devastating. Essentially, it was a, a dam disaster, a dam run by a, a big mining corporation called Va- well, Vale in English, V-A-L-E, but pronounced Valley a place called uh, Brumaguinho. Um, and essentially what happens across, you know, lots of different countries is that um, excess kind of sludge or waste that isn't, is of no use gets stored up, stacked up behind, behind a dam in, in various areas and just kind of, kind of left there. Essentially this dam on the 25th of January, 2019 burst and basically plowed through adjoining villages, um, ran through the canteen and, and workstations from the dam workers and took out 270 people as well as um, generating massive environmental damage and destruction because of the toxic sludge, sludge mm. that was being held, you know, slipping through the environment and into rivers and, and so on. It's back in the news now because the company have announced a US $7 billion uh, reparations package, uh, which is about five uh, billion pounds, which is obviously a huge amount of money. And it's interesting also because they're saying it's not just compensation. They're saying they're going to make right environmental damage. They're going to pay off. Um, they're going to make right socio-economic and socio-environmental damage. So, so essentially bring reparations around to, um, to the communities involved, um, etc. But also really generating widespread fear since the accident because firstly it wasn't the first accident to take place but also there are 790 mining dams across brazil uh, manned by 35 inspectors and on average in any given year where they should all be inspected annually you get somewhere between two and five percent of these mans of these dams um, inspected and the lack of investment and lack of oversight which has been exacerbated during the bolsonaro um, administration just generates widespread uh, worry that this is going to happen again. Yeah, well, I'm sure it does. But, but I tell you what, so reading through this story, what surprised me was that um, people at the company, and presumably these are the people who are supposed to have kept it safe and inspected and all that, are facing actual murder charge. I mean, not manslaughter, not uh, neglect or anything like that, but actual charges of murder over this disaster. Yeah, the senior staff are currently up on on murder charges. Essentially, it seems as though everybody knew that it was that it was unsafe. Um, there are interviews well before the disaster took place with um, with topography experts, etc., saying, "Look, we know that the, the the base of the of the dam is wet. Studies have shown us that it's wet, and therefore it's unstable, and it's only a matter of time." But as often happens with these massive corporations, they they push on and, and get on with things for the you know, for the corporate dollar, and, um, uh, rather than rather than spend money on the on the upkeep of these of these situations, especially when you know there's there's nobody holding them holding them to account for for that to take place. Yeah, I mean, just one uh, one other story um, 
John. And this was, uh, and Moe says Casido will be interested in this. There's, uh, there's an election uh, taking place here in Ecuador, which I didn't know, but one of our, there was just in one of the diary columns of the papers, um, one of our um, Labour MPs is going over there to observe the uh, election. I don't know, it sounds like a bit of a trip to me, uh, amid fears of a right-wing coup. What exactly, tell me a little bit about Ecuador, because it's not a country we talk about much. Yeah, I guess most famous because of uh, Rafael Correa, uh, that was that allowed Julian Assange to to hole up in the Ecuadorian course, embassy yeah. in London. So that's probably where um, you know where Ecuador has most been heard of in the UK, particularly recently. And Rafael Correa actually tried to be a VP candidate for the left wing candidate Andres Arauz in this particular election, but was disbarred from qualifying because he's been up on on corruption charges. Very much a standard left v right. Um, face off on, on this one between this guy Arauz, um, who was a minister in Correa's government and the right wing candidate I called Guillermo Willy Lasso, who was an ex head of uh, Coca-Cola and is an avowed enemy of 21st century uh, socialism. And he lost the last election to, to Lenin Moreno. So it's a, a basically a straight face off between the two. What often happens with elections in, in Latin America is beyond the fact that they're held on Sundays and stuff, is you have a first round. And uh, for a clear-cut winner to emerge, they need to either get 50% or 40% and be 10 points ahead of the, ahead of the next uh, candidate. And you normally have huge amounts of candidates in the first round, and it's very, very muddy and unclear. So almost certainly what's going to take place is that um, these two guys are going to be voted uh, one and two, and then essentially they're going to be they're going to go to to round two in a few weeks' time, and then it'll be a straight head-to-head between between the two of them. Yeah, and all this taking place in the midst of uh, of a pandemic. Uh, I don't know what the figures are like in Ecuador. I know they're pretty bad uh, in Mexico still. Yeah, the figures still very bad in Ecuador. I mean, it's had some some of the worst affected um, cities in the. Uh, in the region, in a region which is which has been massively affected and has 50% of all deaths, uh, you know, if you look at the Americas as a whole, it has 50% of all international deaths from from COVID. And whoever inherits, you know, the, the presidency in any of these countries at the moment yeah. is in for a long, old struggle because the vaccines are are dripping through here. There's no widespread uptake or arrival of these at all of any of them. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, it's a real shame sort of worldwide. We, you know, you look at it it's, uh, because it's a global pandemic. In fact, I think that's a tautology because I think a pandemic is global. Um, global yeah. yeah, the vaccine needs to get uh, around the world. This is pointless uh, if it's just, you know, a handful of countries uh, vaccinating on a huge scale. Um, and certainly in South America, that's the case. Uh, John, we'll, um, we'll talk again next week if that's OK. Take care. Have a good week. Good man, and you. Uh, right, next on the 